Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanksgiving, you're over. The hangover is almost through, and you're ready to get back to life as almost normal, though Christmas is coming right on its heels. But how many people have been deer hunting and gotten a deer? Raise your hand so far. That's it, really? In this big church of all these studly men, that's it? We need to have, oh yeah, you, did, you, did you raise your hand? You shot, you really did? Why? You hit him with a car. That... <laughs> hey, that, that counts. Man, all that trouble, you deserve something out of the mess, right? We need to have one of those wild game nights. Wouldn't that be cool? Bring whatever fish you've ever caught, whatever thing you ever shot, and just cook it up and let's all eat together. Wouldn't that be fun? I'm just, I'm putting a, I'm putting a, I'm putting, you know, an idea in your head. But anyway, hey, I, I want to tell you, I want to brag a little bit on Michael here. Um, I don't want to do that too much because, you know, big-headed youth ministers are just terrible to work with. But they're, they're doing something called Sunday Night Surprise tonight. They're going somewhere to church tonight. And the kids have no clue, and it doesn't really matter because they're together. That's all they care about, which is a cool thing when a youth group meets that, gets to that point. But, but uh, I think the things he's doing are so significant, and they're not just cute things that young people do, but they're things that this church is going to shape a different future for the churches in Jonesboro because of the things he's doing, like a summer youth series, getting all the churches together. And sometimes, let's just face it, we adults can't get our churches, these congregations together for much of anything, but young people can. And so as they do that, is that going to affect us? Well, what, what he's going to do with a Sunday night surprise is they just pick a certain congregation. And, and last time I think it was Harrisburg, and, and, and the kids had no idea. But, but our kids walk in, and you, just picture Harrisburg on a Sunday night with, I don't know, 40, 50 people, and suddenly you have doubled your attendance because this youth group comes in, and they have nothing they're accomplishing. They aren't doing anything except joining them at church and singing with them. And don't you know the volume and the quality of that singing just increased incredibly because of that. You do that around for the congregations in Jonesboro and the area around us, uh, our young people can do that. They may be training us. You know, we can get beside some of our petty differences and let's just join together and be a kind of people who the one thing that unites us is better than anything that divides us. I mean, that's the kind of thing that the youth group's doing. And so if, if you have young people in that group, bring them to this Sunday night surprise thing. And in fact, go with them if you want to and just really show that kind of unity. Remember next Sunday, holiday potluck. And here, I, I've noticed this sometimes it takes us forever uh, the line gets really long. We, we are, we've got some engineers called in who are going to figure out how to do potluck efficiently. Okay, so those of you who come next Sunday, bring, bring friends with you, bring family with you, because you know what? No one's going to have to wait very long. These engineers are smart enough to figure out how are we going to get everybody through there in a reasonable amount of time. We're going to do that. And you're, and you're looking at me like, can you do that with a sermon too? No, you can't do that. That just doesn't work that way. We are in Matthew chapter 9, if you'll join me there. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I bet you had the occasion in the last few days to be reminded 
of something while you were enjoying a Thanksgiving meal with extended family around you, you realize once again that family brings together some very odd people. How many of you at least once in the last couple of days have shook your head and sighed deeply and found yourself mystified as you looked at that one guy in the family you're wondering about or that one lady? Now, you're not degrading them and you're not putting them down. You're just looking at them with wonder like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things... Anybody... Did that song come to your head as you were looking to these family members, right? Maybe, maybe they have a different attitude toward politics or religion. Maybe they don't care about college football. Maybe they, maybe they don't. Well, Hollis is one of these, and it disturbed me this morning. To find there are some people who just don't eat meat. What is wrong with you? I don't understand that. And for some of you, it's not like a dietary thing. It's a choice. I've... One of these things is, I'm, I'm just saying. And then, and then you have that one who talks and talks and talks, and you have no idea what they're talking about. Anybody? Am I the only one? Oh, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, we're just not because he's here. I get it. I understand. That's what Shirley said this morning. I, I, I lived with him for 80 years, right? Well, there's this sandwich story in Matthew chapter 9. All the gospel, all three gospels that record this, sandwich these two stories together. And when you read these stories, it, it really brings out some weird stuff. Why is, it, why is it that with some people, they know the gospel story and it's so compelling to them, they're willing to reorder their lives by it. And then there are other people who know the gospel story and found it, find it to be something they can shrug off and it's no big deal and they don't find it all that significant and most of them aren't here. But you're here on the first day of the week because you've reordered your life around this truth. There are others, even in your own family, who know this truth, but for them it's like ho-hum. How can the same story, the same truth, have such a widely different reaction from people? Synagogue ruler, this is weird, Matthew's the only one to say this. Synagogue ruler comes, his daughter's already dead. The other two Gospels say she was sick unto death and he was hurrying to get Jesus to heal her before she died. Matthew says she was already dead. It's an interesting thing. But, but what's weird is the synagogue ruler for some reason believed that death didn't limit Jesus. He thought that Jesus could actually maybe bring, her bring his daughter back to life. Very interesting faith. But what's interesting about the synagogue leader is you know that most of the Pharisees and Sadducees and synagogue leaders didn't like Jesus at all. Most of them found him to be troubling, a troublemaker. They didn't like who he hung around. You remember that accusation? <coughs> Excuse me. They didn't like what he did on the Sabbath. Like, why did you heal on the Sabbath? That's work. We don't do that in synagogue. We don't do that as Jews. And so synagogue rulers had already decided Jesus was troublesome and he was a topic of debate, but he wasn't somebody to believe in. His entire union and everybody who worked in his profession would get together at these meetings and they would talk about Jesus and they didn't like him. And yet, here's this one synagogue leader who breaks, who breaks the line on the union position and runs up to Jesus and falls at his feet. What would make a guy say, I don't care what everybody else in my occupation says, I don't care what everybody else debates about Jesus, I'm going to go to him. 
I'm going to break the line, I'm going to break the mold, and I'm going to do what I think is right, even when everybody else thinks something different. What would cause you to have that much courage and boldness? I, I, I think the answer is something like in this, uh, if you look at this picture, it's interesting, there's a guy who's who's dying of thirst, and there's an oasis, and he's going to do anything he can to get there. And here's the moral of the story. When what you need most, only Jesus has, you will come. When what you need the most in your life is what only Jesus has, you will respond. And this synagogue ruler, while everybody is considering Jesus a theological discussion and having these debates about him, he's got a daughter who's dead. Those debates seem to blur into the background of insignificance. No longer are these peripheral issues things that will keep me away. I'm not going to consider him somebody to debate and distract and divert my attention. He is the one person who can help me in my dilemma. I'm going to him. And when Jesus becomes the one person who can help with the most important dilemma of your life, you will come to him. You will. It makes sense. Now, how is faith generated? We're looking at this guy, and I know he's heard Jesus. We know it, first of all. There's this two-step. I'm going da- to use a dance move. Not, I'm not going to practice it. I'm going to use a dance move to describe faith. There's two steps to faith here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Where's that from? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This is true. You've got to hear about it before you can ever believe it. Those of you who are here who are believers, you heard the word of truth from somebody. And you guys probably have somebody in your head. Somebody told you early on in your life and showed you in Scripture, this is what generates faith. When you hear the word of truth about what God has done for you or is doing in you, that's what starts a spark of faith. But that's not enough. There's a lot of people who hear that. Everybody who's a synagogue leader heard of Jesus. Jairus, that's this guy's name, included. He'd probably heard Jesus preach in the synagogue. He'd probably heard him the Sermon on the Mount. Probably heard him preaching by the seaside. He'd probably heard a lot. He'd probably seen a lot. But hearing and seeing is not enough. Even Jesus tells us this. He tells us this parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. And the only difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is not that they heard One of them heard and one of them didn't. No, they both heard, but one of them did something and the other one didn't. James says it's like looking in a mirror and you see that mug in the morning and you go, ooh, got to work on that, but you forget about it. One person looks in the mirror and says, ooh, I got to do that, and they do that and they look presentable. The other one looks at that mirror and says, yeah, I got to do that, but doesn't, doesn't do anything about it. He goes outside and nobody wants to deal with him. Faith is generated by hearing the word of God, but it's really kicked into gear when you do something about it. And for a lot of people in this time, and even in ours, something happens between step one and step two. They make Jesus a bunch of theological discussions. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, Avoid unhealthy craving for controversy, quarrels about words 
that produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicion and constant friction among people, constant fighting who are depraved in mind and deprive themselves of the truth. They just make it a discussion, a debate, a fight, a fuss, and they make Jesus a, a, a bunch of stuff to talk about and debate about, not someone to believe in and follow. And when we do this around the Thanksgiving table... Make Jesus just a bunch of stuff. And I got to tell you, I, don't, I can't explain it. I do, I do have a position on this. But I can't explain how God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all one God. I can't explain that to you. And if you've got to have that explained to you before you can come to Him and find salvation, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. There are debate things that we need to talk about, but they don't need to be distractions and diversions from giving him your life. I can't explain for your satisfaction divorce and remarriage, but I can explain the identity and the essential nature of believing in Jesus and being immersed into him. I know that. I know that, and we need to stand on that even if we never settle some of these other things. Don't let them be distractions, church. Don't let them be diversions. You get in discussions with people. Is it free will or is it the grace of God? I don't know how to explain that. I do know how to explain Jesus. Don't let that become the problem. And you see, a lot of the synagogue rulers did. They made Jesus a topic of discussion, but not someone who could believe in. But for Jairus, when the thing you need most, only Jesus has, you will come. And he did. And he responded. And he got what he needed. And he didn't let anything keep him away. And while Jesus is on the way to help him, Jesus just up and changes his plans to go help Jairus, right? And he's going to go to his daughter, but as he's on the way, there's this woman who sneaks up in the crowd. No one sees her because she's completely incognito. She is in, she is in disguise. She's got this veil over her, her, her face, and she's got head coverings on, and she's got big garments on because she's unclean. She's been unclean for 12 years straight. She's had this blood flow hemorrhage problem that keeps her unclean. She can't come to the synagogue for worship. She hasn't been to worship in 12 years. She hasn't been to synagogue for social interaction, which was the main way Jews interacted with each other, was in synagogue, and she wasn't there. And the crowd knew it. They, they knew who she was, and they left her at the peripherals because Leviticus says so. And so she has the law against her. She has the people and her, their awareness of her against her, and she has her own hopelessness. She'd spent every dime she had on on doctors who had any idea of what might possibly be wrong, and no one could solve it, and she was left completely isolated and alone. But, though she never heard Jesus in person, she'd heard the murmurings and the talk as she stayed outside at a distance. She'd heard people talk about him, and suddenly her hope was born again. She heard who Jesus was. He's the Son of God, he's got the truth of God, and he can heal. She hears that from enough sources on her part just outside of town, and she decides, I hear it, but I'm going to act on it, because what I need most, 
only Jesus has, and there's nothing going to keep me away from it. And I know I can't legally or socially interact with him, but I'm going to sneak up on him. I'm going to disguise myself. I'm not going to let the crowd get in the way. I'm not going to let the law get in the way. I'm not going to let uncleanness get in the way. I'm going to get to Jesus. And she gets up to him, and she touches just the hem of a garment, and that's enough. And Jesus, it says in another gospel, felt the healing power leave him. When he healed, it cost him. It was exhausting. And he turns around and he faces this woman. This may sound like it was almost embarrassing and put her on the spot, but he did great favors for this woman that day because he calls out that woman and has her come in front of this entire crowd, including the synagogue ruler who's with him. The synagogue ruler is the one who lets you in or not to synagogue. And he had not let her in for 12 years because of the uncleanness. And Jesus, right there in front of everybody, says, woman, what have you done? And she says, I was unclean. I've been bleeding for 12 years, and I just wanted to touch the hem of of your garment, and I've been healed. And Jesus, right there on the spot, pronounces her clean. He does what only a priest could do, pronounces her clean. She's not going to have to go around and tell everybody the story a thousand times and try to get them to believe her when they would never believe a woman in the first century. Jesus speaks for the woman in public and declares her clean. And now the synagogue ruler knows not only that she's clean, but how she was. She's not going to have to go around trying to convince people Jesus is helping her out right here. It's an amazing, beautiful scene. But he also looks at her and says, you know what just healed you? Your faith. You know why it just healed? Because she had a two-step faith. She not only heard in Jesus, but she came right up to him. There's too many people who've heard about Jesus but never come to him. There's too many people who are bumping into Jesus, you know, knowing a few things about him but not really looking for anything. She was touching him for a a distinct purpose, and she got the healing because when what you need most only Jesus has, you will not let anything stop you, not even annoying hypocrites who worship with you. Not even other people who get in the way. Not anybody in your occupation. Not any of the debates people bring up. You will let nothing come between you and getting to Jesus, who's the only one who has what you need most. There's many reasons people give for why they're not here on this Sunday morning. A lot of things people let get in the way. But when what you need most... Only Jesus has, you'll be here. And nothing will stop you. It's the truth. Which makes us wonder why do some people let different things? She goes on, as you know, Jesus goes on to to this uh, Jairus' house and he raises this dead woman. This dead girl, she's 12 years old, raises her fright from the dead. But what's interesting, while he made the woman who wanted to be private public, he makes the woman, the girl, whose death is very public, they've already hired mourners who are there doing their thing, makes this public thing private because he respects. And I want you to see that he intercedes for these two women. In the first century, women had no standing at all, no bearing, no capital for him. 
But he did, nothing stopped. He rearranged his schedule. He stopped time for these two women, a girl and a woman in the first century. There is nobody that Jesus considers insignificant or not of value. He will stop time for anyone who comes to get his attention. If you pray to him and you come to him, I don't care who you are or what you've done, he is going to stop and give you his undivided attention and give you exactly what you need if you're willing to do it. When what you need most, only Jesus has, you'll come. And this is going to explain the two reasons why some people don't. Why is it that some people know the same story you do, and for them it doesn't compel them to change anything? It doesn't compel them in any way whatsoever. If you have faith that's alive and active, it's because you heard about Jesus from somewhere and you knew that you had a need for him, that something you needed, he had, and you came to him. You had a sin problem that you knew about. And I don't care who you are here, you're in Valley View, a very affluent section of, of our community and our state. Very, very wealthy start. Everybody wants to be in this school district and have this job and this position. And I'm going to tell you this, though, and everybody in here knows this is true, and I expect a response. You take all your money and take all your prestige and you take all your positions and all your attributes and every good thing that you've got and you convert it to spiritual currency. You've got nothing but filthy rags to show who you are. Nothing. Is that true? You've got nothing. You take your spiritual portfolio and you liquidate it and you take Jesus out of the equation and you bring it to him. All your talents and all your good works and all your good things and all the great things that you've done and the great things that you are and you bring it to him. It is You are as poor as those people coming from Latin America trying to get in America by appealing to us. Right? You are as bankrupt as they are. Is that true of you? Come on, church, is that true of you? Yeah, and your only chance was this, what you need most, you can't do anything about. You had to come to Jesus for. Now, here's the two weak spots. One is this. There's an awful lot of people who don't know what they most need. They think the same, we're all created with the same problem, y'all. We're created in the image of God. We're created with a problem, and that problem is we cannot be all who we are supposed to be without being aligned with our Creator. He created us this way, you know. Our fullness, our potential, our reality, everything about what we're here for and what will bring us greatest value and significance is only found in our Creator. He made it that way. That's the design of the Creator, of us, the creation. And until we are aligned with Him, we are so totally out of, of sorts, we don't know what we're doing. And we know it. We know it because we feel that restlessness and we try to fill it with something. And what people think they need most is a good marriage. If I have a good marriage, everything will be all right. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to have a good marriage, but it's not the most important thing. It's not. And, and they want, I, want a good, I want a good job, and I want plenty of money and all this stuff to take care of anything that could come up. And you can have all that, and I'm going to tell you, you have all that. There's still a restlessness there. It's going to drive you crazy. Think you want good health, and so you live, and you eat all the right things, and you work out, and all this stuff, and you think this is where life really is, is when I feel good, and I know I'm, gonna, I'm healthy. Listen, that's not it either, and you're going to find it. It's called the Ecclesiastes Dilemma. 
The Ecclesiastes dilemma is what is life really about? What's the most important thing? And Solomon was in a position to go pursue a lot of things. And he, and he went looking for a lot of things that he thought was his greatest need. He went after the most beautiful women in the world. He did the most, be- the most amazing projects in the world that gave his name memorial status. He went through all these wonderful things, this wisdom and contentment and college degrees and jobs. And he said, you know what it all is? What's the word, church? Meaningless. And we're doing the same exact thing. He left us a roadmap and said, let me do you a favor. I've done all this. Here it is. Follow God and keep his commandments. But no, we got to try it ourselves. No, no, we'll find it better. And so we go through the same thing, and we feel the same emptiness and the same meaninglessness, and we go searching in the same places. There's only so many places you can look, and we're all trying the same route. We're following the map like a T. And the Ecclesiastes writer says, Oh, you people! Can I tell you, I'll just do a shortcut. What you need most is to get rid of the sin that keeps you away from your Creator. That alignment with Him, if you get this right, if you make it to where you have peace and unity with your Creator, everything else is right. He created you that way. He created you to need Him. And He's available for you. But you've got to get you out of the way. And you've got to line up with him. And he created us this way, and he said, here's your greatest need. And until you understand this, you're going to go chasing peripheral things. It's going to make you go crazy. But here's the other thing that people don't know. Some people don't know that only Jesus has it. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can fix that alignment. He's the only one who can straighten everything and remove all the barriers that keep you from the one who gives you value, significance, direction, and meaning in your life. When you go to bed at night, listen, you may not have the greatest bank account in the world and the greatest relationships in all the world, but when you and your Creator are right like this, there's nothing better anywhere because it straightens everything else. But i got to tell you the good news and the bad news. The good news is you can't earn it. He's going to give it to you. What you need most, you can't earn, you can't pay off, you can't work out, you can't do anything. You can't pay it off with good behavior. All you can do is come to Jesus. Jesus is the only one. And he absorbs that penalty that you deserve to pay. He absorbs it and he restores that line with you. And there's no reason in the world not to come and receive it and to give it from him freely. What you need most is offered free, but you've got to come to Jesus for it. Don't go looking in all these other things. That's not the answer. It's Jesus alone. Two chapters over in Matthew chapter 11. We have this weird passage. It's in the same section. It's talking about these people. Jesus has done all these things, and he does some more things, right? But he says this in 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, including the city where he just healed this woman with a blood problem and this girl who was raised from the dead. He began to announce the cities where most of these mighty works had been done because they did not repent. 
Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, who were destroyed in the Old Testament, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth. And If they could have seen what you saw, they would have responded. They would have known Jesus is the one who had what they needed. Here it gets worse. And you, Capernaum, where he raised this girl, will, be exalt- will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, what was done in Sodom? Fire from heaven. If, if they had seen what you've seen, they would have repented. But you didn't. It would have remained until this day, but I'll tell you it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Listen, now that you've heard, here are the consequences. Now that you've heard, if you don't do anything about it, it becomes part of your indictment. It becomes your condemnation because you know what's available. Everybody in here has heard this this morning, and I know you've heard this elsewhere. This is not anything unique to you. But even just this morning, you've heard enough this morning to know Jesus is the one who has what you need most. He's the only one who has what you need most. You know this, and if you don't act on it, listen, it's your freedom. You have a choice to do that, but if you don't act on it, it becomes part of your condemnation later on. God's going to look at you and say, you had the chance. You know what my son did for you. You know what he was offering you, and you turned your back on it. So listen, I turn my back on you now. So you either get a wonderful message of grace if you take advantage, or you get an awful, awful message of condemnation if you don't. You can't walk out neutral. When what you need most, only Jesus has, You'll come. If you've never responded to him, what you need most, only he has. You need to come. If you've responded to him, let me tell you, what you need most, he still is the only one who has. You need to keep coming. You need to keep being faithful, and you need to stay in that line with him. You need to keep, so everybody needs to respond, but I'm calling on you. Anyone who's just chosen, for whatever reason, you decide, I have, I'm not going to do this. Listen, you don't let your coworkers who don't believe like you get in the way. Don't let the theological debates and the things that you may not understand fully about the whole faith, there's going to be things you'll never understand fully. Just get used to it. We'll grapple with it, but don't let it be a distraction. Don't let society and what they say about things and, their, and all the sitcoms and all the media stuff, don't let all that keep you from it. Don't let your uncleanness and the sins that you've committed before stop you from it. There's no reason for it to. Don't let anything that didn't stop Jairus stop you. Don't let anything that didn't stop this woman from coming stop you. Don't let anything, because when what you need most, only he has, you'll come. And this morning, I hope you do, as we stand and as we sing.